Would you turn with me in God's Word to John chapter 17? We're going to read the whole chapter. John chapter 17. Now, as you're turning, let me give you some updates. Next week, uh, Stephen will be preaching. When we come back from that, we're taking a break out of John. And we are going to be doing what I call, we usually do summer in the Psalms. We're going to do something different. We're going to do summer in systematics. We're going to discuss one theological topic. What topic is that? The church. Why the church? If there is one thing that we have lost sight of as a Christian culture, it is what is the purpose of the church? Why did God give the church? Why is the church important? Why is the church lasted for 2,000 years. Why does God work in this way? Those are the things we're going to look through as we, we preach from Genesis and Acts and Corinthians and Revelation. We're going to be all over the Bible. Uh, we'll do that for about 12 weeks. So it'll be something different in the summer while some of us are traveling and in and out. And then we'll finish John by the end of the year. Fair enough? Okay. Today we're in John 17. Every sermon I have ever preached on prayer, every book, every sermon I've ever heard on prayer has always been a call to prayer. And when I preach that sermon or I hear that sermon, do you know what, how it makes me feel? Discouraged. Who here has a perfect prayer life? I didn't think so. That's why I love it when people say, I'm praying for you. That's an encouragement to me because I struggle in prayer. We all struggle in prayer. But there's a problem with that too. Has you, have you ever told somebody, you know what, I'm going to pray for you, and then you forget? Oh, and then you see them and you feel guilty. Oh, I forgot. How would you feel if someone who had a perfect prayer life was always praying for you? Wouldn't that be an encouragement? Well, we see that in our passage. So I'm going to make our sermon in the sentence very simple. Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays for you. Let me pray, then we'll, we'll, we'll read this. Heavenly Father, as we come to open Jesus' heart for us, the desires that he has for us, I pray that your spirit would remove from us any doubt, any aspersion that we cast upon our Savior, any of the nagging concerns which Satan lobs at us, and that you would grant us clarity to see the heart of Christ. Father, we ask that we would hear this and apply it to our life. And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's read John 17. Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. 
Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in tr the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And I have sent, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also believe in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved them, loved me, may be in them, and I in them. 
Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. This is a magnificent passage. We're preaching it in one sermon this morning, but in years to come, this will be about a 20-sermon series. There is such beauty and simplicity in this prayer. It's one of the easiest chapters in Greek to read in the Bible for John uses, a, I mean, Jesus uses a very elementary vocabulary to talk to his father. And we all understand that. We talk the clearest about the things we know the best, about the things we love the most. But before we listen to what Jesus has to say, I want us to be like Moses. Moses saw the burning bush long before he heard it speak. I want us to see some things about Jesus' prayer. What we find is that this is not a private prayer. That should be obvious. We're reading it. Jesus doesn't retire to the wilderness. Jesus doesn't go to his prayer closet. No, Jesus sees a need and prays for his disciples before his disciples. And they need it. They need it. John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. John 16, you will have trouble in the world. Jesus doesn't deal with this trouble the way we deal with this trouble. When Jessica tells me of something that's bothering her, what's the first thing I try to do? Fix it. It's what men do, isn't it? We fix things. What is Jesus' first response? Jesus prays for them. Jesus prays for them. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing because we know the whole story. We know that these are men of little faith that are full of hot air. How many times does Jesus tell them, oh, you of little faith? How many times do we see them fail? The feeding of the 5,000, being in the ship, the list goes on and on and on. And we know how the story ends. Jesus knows how the story ends. He knows that Peter will deny him. He knows the disciples will scatter. He knows everything that's going to happen. And yet when Jesus prays to the Father, Jesus does not air out all their dirty laundry. He speaks of them in the most glowing terms. They have received your words. They believe these are the ones you gave to me. Church, I'll be honest. I've had the hardest time this week with that point. Theologically, I can explain it to you. But on a practical level, we look at our own self and we see nothing but failure. We see every reason to be discouraged. But when Jesus prays for us, he prays for us in glowing terms because he loves us. 
That's amazing. What does Jesus pray for? Let me give you three things. The first thing Jesus prays for when he prays for us, he prays for our preservation. He prays for our preservation. That should signal something. If he's praying for preservation, then we must be preserved from something. But there's two parts to that, actually. Let's think of Thompson's water seal. You build a deck. You put Thompson's water seal on it. What's being preserved? Only the things you put the water seal on. Not, a, not the whole house. Not every tree in, the, in your yard. Only what gets the, the Thompson's on them. And what's it preserving it from? Water, rot, decay. Now look at what Jesus says. I am not praying for them. I mean, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. But for those you have given me. They are in the world. So keep them in your name. So clearly the doctrine of election bubbles up in Jesus' prayer. In a similar way, in the book of Exodus, the high priest would wear a breastplate. And it had 12 gems. And the 12 gems represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So when he would go before the Lord and pray, who was he praying for? Those 12 people. Period. When Jesus goes before the Father to pray... Who does he pray for? He prays for his people. They are the ones given to him by the Father. He is entrusted to preserve and protect. Now notice this does not stifle Jesus' prayer. Jesus says, I don't pray for these only, but for all of those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus' prayer in this moment stretches through space and time and it reaches down. Jesus prays for us. He knows that the Father will save and those who are saved need to be preserved. Now you may say to yourself, if I'm elect, doesn't that mean I don't need to be preserved? That's like saying, well, I know God is sovereign over all things, so I'm just going to jump off the roof. I'm going to climb a ladder and jump off the roof of my house. Yeah, that's not how it works. The ones whom God elects, the one whom God saves... God preserves until the end. He preserves us every step of the way. He tells us that we must keep ourselves because He keeps us. He guides every step we take. But notice what form this preservation takes. He says in verse 15, I do not ask 
that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He prays the Father would keep us. This doesn't mean like they did in the old days that we need to be walled off in a monastery, that we need to separate the church from the world, that we need to live lives of isolation. That's not what Jesus says. That's being a spouse today. That we need to form little Christian communities and we need to keep the world out. That is no different from being in a storm shelter. As a parent, that is a strong temptation. Look around in our world. You can't even watch Disney anymore. You can't even watch the Transformers. We live in a world full of vile, sinful practices. Yes, we are called to use wisdom. Yes, we're called to use discretion. But we are not preserved by our works. We are preserved by God. Jesus doesn't pray to keep us out of the world. Jesus prays to keep the world out of us. He doesn't pray to keep us out. He prays to keep the world out of us. When deception arises, God preserves his people. When Satan stops and roars, God preserves his people. When the world's hatred reaches its summit, God preserves his people. He prays for our preservation. But not only our preservation, he prays for our sanctification. He prays for our sanctification. I love it when people ask me, they say, Zach, what is God's will for my life? I always turn to 1 Thessalonians where Paul says, God's will for your life is your sanctification. Jesus prays for our sanctification. Now what is sanctification? It is us being devoted to God, made holy, aimed and situated and focused on His glory. Now we see the parallel Jesus makes. As the Father sent me into the world, so I'm sending them. Jesus was sent from the Holy Father for a holy purpose. That required that he live a holy life. We are sent by the thrice holy God for a holy purpose. We must live a holy life life. Our usefulness is tied to our holiness. All the gifts we may have, all the books we may read, all the education we may achieve means nothing if we have not holiness. Notice the ground on which Jesus prays. He says, for this purpose, I consecrate myself. 
In the Old Testament, the furniture in the tabernacle was made holy. It was sanctified. It was devoted to God by the shedding of blood. We are sanctified. We are devoted to God by the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. He comes to us as righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And He continues to sanctify us through His Word. His Word conforms us to His image. Let me make something very clear. Jesus prayed for our sanctification. Jesus did not pray for our children to be great at baseball, to be bankers, to be businessmen, to be stockbrokers. Jesus prayed for a sanctified people. Holiness is a measure of success. And I'll be honest with you. Being holy is the hardest thing you can possibly do. Zach, I'm caring for aging parents. I'm trying to decide what to do with things like college. When should I retire? What should I do in my spare time? How, do these, how can I make wise decisions in these areas to promote my holiness? If Jesus has prayed for our sanctification, He will provide the wisdom in His Word for that purpose. You may say, I'm tired, I'm full of anxiety, I worry all day about my children, myself, I am exhausted. If Jesus has prayed for our sanctification... He will also give us the strength we need. We can rest in the fact that Jesus has prayed for us. Preservation, sanctification, Jesus has prayed for our unification. He says, I in them, you and me, that they may be one so that the world may know you sent me. This is the summing up of everything else. What divides our relationships? Whether that be in the church with the little C or the church with the big C. Well, it's sin. We need sanctification. Who is it that likes to meddle in our business? Isn't it the world? We need preservation. What is big enough to unite all men on heaven and earth? It's the glory of Jesus Christ. Holiness, heavenliness, and glory. This is the threefold cord that binds us today. Notice these are not external things. This is not how you dress when you come to church. Whether you wear a hat or not. This is not a song and dance. This is not about what kind of music you sing. It's not about what time you go to church. These are internal things. In this room, we are all very different. Most of us. Some of us. I think all of us are related at this point. 
Most of us are different. But we're united by a holy, heavenly, glorious calling. We are very different from the Baptist and the Methodist. We are as different from the Baptist as a Lamborghini to a Pinto, in my opinion. But we are united by a holy, heavenly calling. The same unity that we see in the triune God is the same unity that is seen among God's people. And I'll say that this is a prayer that often hurts. I very much sympathize with Calvin who wrote, I would cross ten seas to heal the broken and bloodied body of Jesus Christ. Can you understand that? I come from Jones County where there are two Baptist churches next to each other because they got in an argument over carpet color. Does that hurt? Does it hurt? I know a good church where there were two women that went for 20 years without speaking. They were mad at each other. So a new pastor came in. He said, I'm going to fix this problem. And he talked to them. They said, why are you mad at each other? And you know what they said? I don't know. They had forgotten. Does it not break our heart when we see disunity among the church? It's one thing to have differences. But differences and disunity are two different things. A, broke, a divided army cannot conquer. A divided house cannot stand. What about a divided church? Is there a disunity here? Is there disunity within our church that feels impossible to bridge? Jesus prayed for our unity. We can be one. Are there brothers and sisters in other denominations of which we are at odds? Well, Christ prayed for our unity. Though we may be distinguished by different buildings, the same way that hands and feet are distinguished by gloves and shoes, yes, but we're still part of one body. We can have unity, for Christ prayed for it. Church, I want to end with one last petition of Jesus Christ. In the very beginning, he prayed for glory. The very end, he summed it up with a verse I would ask each of us here to commit to memory. This is Jesus' prayer, not for us, but for him. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. If I can paraphrase Robert Trail. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was staring at the cross, he said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But in this moment, this thing 
Jesus doesn't say, Father, if it be your will. He says, it is my will. They be with me. When praying for himself, look at the difference. When praying for his own hell, Jesus says if, but when praying for our heaven, he says, I will. My friends, we may be pressed down by many things, many sins. We may be assaulted by the world left and right. There may be disunity and dysfunction within our churches. But let me tell you something. Jesus prayed that we would be with him where he is. The Father always hears the Son. Nothing, hear me, nothing, nothing will stop this prayer from being answered. All the trials we deal with in our life, not one of them will prevent this prayer being answered. Jesus has prayed for us. Can we enter into that prayer together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would sustain us. Every step that must be taken between here and heaven that we know not of. There are snares and traps at every corner. There's a traitor within my heart. There is brokenness in this world that I cannot catalog. Lord, the pathway from here to heaven seems nigh impossible. But we rest in the fact that you always hear the prayers of your son. I pray you would continue to cultivate in us the same desire to be with him that he desires to be with us. Father, we long for that day. Prepare us for it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.